Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, we've been reading together about David's life from the books of First and Second Samuel, and uh, where we are in the story, David is not the king yet, but that is about to change uh, very soon. This, the story that we're going to read together this morning is the last uh, of the wilderness stories. It's the last of uh, the stories of David's life on the run from Saul. And we're going to pick up right where we left off last week. Um, David and his 600 men have been sent home from a battle, and they have traveled for three days, and they are just now arriving back to their borrowed hometown of Ziklag. They are just now headed back uh, to their wives and to their children. So let me read uh, 1 Samuel 30 for us. I'll read verses 1 through 10, and then 18 through 25. Now when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negev and against Ziklag. They had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one but carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives also had been taken captive, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And David said to Abathar the priest, the son of Elimelech, bring me the ephod. So Abathar brought the ephod to David, and David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? He answered him, pursue, for you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue. So David set out, and the 600 men who were with him, and they came to the brook Besor, where those who were left behind stayed. But David pursued, he and 400 men. 200 stayed behind, who were too exhausted to cross the brook Besor. David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken, and David rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing, whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil, or anything that had been taken. David brought back all. David also captured all the flocks and herds, and the people drove the livestock before him and said, this is David's spoil. Then David came to the 200 men who had been too exhausted to follow David and who had been left at the brook Besor, and they went out to meet David and meet the people who were with him, and when David came near to the people, he greeted them. Then all the wicked and worthless fellows among the men who had gone with David said, because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered, except that each man may lead away his wife and children and depart. But David said, you shall not do so, my brothers, with what the Lord has given us. He has preserved us and given into our hand the band that came against us. Who, who would listen to you in this matter? For as his share is who goes down into the battle so shall his share be who stays by the baggage. They shall share alike. 
and he made it a statute and a rule for Israel from that day forward to this day. This is God's word, and it's given for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask uh, that you'd meet us in this word that we've read and heard, that you'd meet us in this story. You'd meet us, um, those of us who are here this morning who are ready to hear from you, and those of us who feel distracted and and unready, those of us who aren't sure. Father, meet those of us this morning who feel strong in faith and those of us who don't. Meet those of us who are glad, those of us who are filled with sadness. Meet us all and show us the grace of Jesus and change us by it. And we ask it in his name. Amen. Well, my wife uh, Allison and I, we lived in Rogers Park uh, for about 10 years. And for around the last six of it, we lived in a three-flat with two other families. And our oldest daughter, Ellie, uh, was born while we lived there. Now, our backyard at that place was really small. I think that the usable space back there was probably 15 foot by 15 foot. Um, But even so, all of the kids in the building, they played back there all of the time. Uh, It wasn't very much, um, but it was everything for them. It was like their whole wide world. Um, Well, when Ellie was about three or four, um, my parents moved into a house that sits on five acres of Kentucky bluegrass. Uh, And so the first time we ever went there, the first time we ever drove with Ellie to that place, we opened the car door and Ellie immediately ran out of the car and sprinted into the yard. But she only went about 10 yards and she stopped dead and she turned around and look back uh, at my mom. (laughs) And somehow my mom intuited what it was that Ellie needed and she said, Ellie, you can keep running, it's okay. And so Ellie ran a little bit further, maybe another 10 yards and she stopped dead again and she turned and looked back at my mom, her grandma, and she had this incredulous look on her face. She had absolutely no frame of reference for a yard that was that wide and big. And my mom said, Ellie, you can run and run and run. It'll be okay. And she did. And it was a pretty great moment. And I think about it all the time. And it came to mind this week because I think that in the story that we just read together, David gets a sense for another kind of of wideness, another kind of largeness out there by the brook I think David gets a sense for the expansive wideness of God's mercy and grace. I think David gets a sense of this mercy and grace, and he gets a sense that you could run and run and run in it. Like maybe it reaches to the heavens. And he lets that sense of the wideness of God's mercy change him. And I think it would be great if we could find our own place in that story. So David and his men, they they make it home after three long days on the road. They've covered probably around 75 miles over those three days. And they come home to horror. The Amalekites um, are another band of marauding people like the Philistines were, and they had taken advantage of their defenseless city while they were away and they had burned it to the ground. 
and all of their wives and sons and daughters were gone, carried away to who knows where. It is a cold relief that they don't find bodies there in the city because that means that their loved ones may still be alive, but every one of those guys knew what happened to people who were taken captive under those circumstances. They were sold as slaves and worse. So David and his men, they did what you do when you are faced with terror like that. They raised their voices and they wept until they didn't have strength to weep anymore. It is a harrowing picture. These grown men, these hard men on their faces in the smoking rubble. And if you've ever wept like that, you know that it takes you to the very end of yourself. And there, from that place, something remarkable, but not at all surprising, begins to happen. Some of David's men begin to whisper about stoning him. As is very often the case, all of the sadness began to calcify into rage and into anger. And all of that anger needed a place to go. And as far as some of them were concerned, it should fall on David's head. It's his fault. He should have left some of us behind. He should have known better. And you know, we've, we've seen a dynamic like this play out um, at almost lightning speed in our national life this week. After the shootings in Georgia, it seemed to me like um, any sense of lament was sped quickly past, and we as a people moved into figuring out and, and into proclaiming precisely and exactly why this had happened. And if you looked at any of that at all, you know that a lot of anger was generated among people who disagreed with one another. And I understand that it's important to figure these things out eventually. Um, but church, here's what happens when we run in, you know, into parsing all of that kind of stuff out and we do it with an overblown sense of our own omniscience. <laughs> we run past lament. And we run past... Um, what is supposed to be a distinguishing mark of the Christian community. We run past, as the Apostle Paul says, letting our love be genuine and weeping with those who weep. We don't need to understand everything to weep with those who weep. And thank God for that, seriously. And many of our Asian and Asian American friends are weeping. And so the call for us is to join with them in the solidarity of tears and to walk with them. So we come back uh, to David, for whom the bottom has fallen out. Along with this personal loss, his own family is missing. Now his men are thinking about taking his life. And his response in that moment is not to cut and to run away. His response is not to power up and fight. His response in that moment is not to point his finger somewhere else and cast the blame somewhere else. Verse 6 says that this is what David did in response. He strengthened himself in his God. 
And church, I want you to know that that's not some mystical, hard-to-access thing. That is David simply remembering God's promises to him. That is David remembering who God really is and who God has been to him. You know, we see this all of the time in the Psalms, of course, many of which are connected to David. I mean, think of Psalm 25 as an example and try to imagine David in this moment. You know, his family's gone. And his people want to kill him. Try to imagine him saying, the troubles of my heart are enlarged, God. Bring me out of my distress. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. He will pluck my feet out of this net. David prays and he worships and he calls his priest This is all normal stuff, church, normal stuff in the life of faith. It's what we are called to do when we face trouble, when we face hazards. Jesus said, you will have trouble in this life, but I have overcome the world. You are not alone. You have my spirit. You have my word. You have my people all around you. And so I got to ask, you know, what would it look like in, in your life? What would it look like in my life if when we were faced with trouble, we didn't run away and we didn't point fingers and we didn't power up and fight anybody who crosses us? What would it look like? David points the way here to something better. He strengthened himself in his God. What kind of trouble and pain would that save us? kind of confidence and peace could it give us? What what kind of friend or leader or spouse or mom or dad or brother or sister could we be if we did that when we were faced with trouble? Well, it, it clearly, obviously works for David. He somehow, from God, gets the resolve and gets the courage that he needs to lead this group forward. He, he rallies them out of this bad spot, and they take off exhausted into the trackless wastes of the southern desert. They don't know the enemies that they're looking for. They don't have any idea how they're going to find them, but they are together, and they are resolute And after about 12 miles, though, about a third of them just cannot go on. It's certainly understandable. After three days of marching and then hours of weeping and distress and trouble, and on top of that, all of the deep anxiety that must be coursing through their bodies in that moment, you can see how someone would be spent. And so 200 of those men are left behind at the Brook Besor with all of the stuff that the other 400 didn't need to carry any further. Now, we didn't, uh, we didn't read about what happens next, but you should definitely do that this afternoon. It is a great story, but I'll give you the highlights. They go out into the nowhere, and they find this Egyptian in the open country. <laughs> he is uh, on the brink of death, and so they give him food, and they, they give him drink. And as he revives, and when he's able to speak, they find out that this Egyptian is a servant. In fact... He is a servant who was abandoned by the Amalekites because he had gotten sick. And then he lets on that his band raided a town called Ziklag. And when all of the pieces come together, he agrees to lead David to the hideout of the Amalekites. 
And when David and his men find the Amalekites, they're spread out everywhere. They're drunk and dancing and celebrating. And so David waits until morning, until when they're trying to sleep it off. And he routes them until the sun sets that night. And the storyteller says they recovered all that had been taken. Nothing was missing, small or great, wives, sons, daughters, nothing was missing, nothing that had been taken. It is this incredible deliverance. And they begin to head back with these tears of laughter and joy. But then they come to the 200 that had been left behind at the Brook Basor. And some of 400, those 400 of David's men, they get an idea. They say, hey, David, listen, don't give those guys any of the spoil that we have recovered in this raid because they didn't earn it. I mean, let them take their wives and their children and get out of here, but don't give them anything else. And David's answer is quick, and it is definitive. You shall not do so, my brothers, with what Yahweh has given us. He has preserved us. He has given into our hand this band that came against us. In that moment, at the brook Besor, David recognized the wideness of God's mercy to every one of them. The whole thing, he realizes this whole thing has been grace from start to finish. It, it wasn't luck that led them in the right way in the wilderness. It wasn't uh, their own skill that had out of nowhere provided this sick Egyptian guy, the one guy who could lead them to where they needed to go. And it wasn't because they were really, really great guys that the Amalekites had been so stupid and prone in their hideout. I mean, think about it. Some of these guys who are coming up with this idea, these are the clowns who wanted to murder David 24 hours ago. Their moral eminences were not what got them to where they are now. This was, as David said, what God had given them. This was his gracious provision. His steadfast love it reaches to the clouds. You could run and run and run in it and never ever get to the end of it. So David says, listen, <laughs> because we don't have anything here that we haven't been given, we are gonna show the same kind of ridiculous generosity that we have been shown. They shall share alike. And he actually makes it a rule for Israel once he becomes king. And church, this good news at the Brook Besor is a pointer to the good news that has changed all of our lives. I mean, what do people like us have that we have not been given? I mean, we know the answer to that. My, uh, my moral eminence did not make me a candidate for the mercy and love that is shown to me in the cross and resurrection and ascension of Jesus, not any skill, not any talents or smarts or savvy, not even a big old heap of, of good luck. God's people know better, and on good days, 
we will admit it. We were lost sheep out wandering around with no way home. And he came and got us and brought us back. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And church, people who recognize that and people who revel in it and people who celebrate it like we will at this table in just a few minutes, they are the people who are being changed uh, to show others the kind of generosity and the kind of grace that they have been shown first. The kind that you can run in forever and ever and never get to the end of. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask uh, that you would use whatever it is that you need to use for people like us to help us see who we are and who you are, to help us see the way that you have loved us with this love that is so wide, with an immensity that we will never get to the end of. Help us to admit that we know it's not our own stuff <laughs> that makes you love us. It is your love for us that changes everything. Father, we ask that you would help us to believe that, um, that you would help us to live as if we believe that so that we could grow up in our faith and so that through us you could love this broken world around us. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.